Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, take two listeners. <laughs> Greetings to everybody. Now, in case you haven't heard yet, this is the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, the one podcast you can find at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Boom! I am... Uh, frequently found on autoguide.com. You can find all my reviews as well as some of my video reviews there. But Ben, you know what? He's a nomad of the internet. And you can find his content almost everywhere you look for automotive reviews. Ben, what is one of the latest places we've seen your byline pop up on? You can find my visual tour of the Autostadt and a weird kind of stream of consciousness review of driving the Arteon to see a giant statue of Mikhail Gorbachev at Automobile Magazine's website. And uh, I also wanted to remind you never to check a digital nomad's web browsing history. <laughs> well, regardless of what kind of history you should t- check, actually, you know what, to be honest, those all sound like a great written compliment to the episode we had a couple uh, last week on your, your visit to Autostadt. Yeah, so, and if you have, if you go to the unnamedautomotivepodcast.com site, you'll find links to those stories. Ooh, links. Are we getting paid for those links? Someone's getting paid for them. <laughs> it's not me. Is it you? I... <laughs> I uh, signed a document that says I can't answer that question truthfully, so I'm going to decline to answer it completely. Who gave you the document to sign? I was blindfolded. What? Where are these documents coming from? Okay, you know what? Let's just get to the cards, uh, because that's what the Unnamed Automotive Podcast is all about. That and friendship. (laughs) Yeah, our friendship has been... This podcast is about our friendship. We're still friends, right? It's a rocky friendship, but it's a friendship. And that means the podcast continues for yet another episode. Exactly. Uh, this week, I've got two executive sports sedans, okay? Wait, you know what, what that a, means, What is right? an executive sports sedan? Well, it's a sports sedan, but... But it's too big, to, too big to be fun? <laughs> yes, too big to be fun. Sized for executive-level egos. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> naturally, I've got the Audi A6 and the Mercedes E450. Now, it's really important to talk about these two cars because they're natural competitors. They've been duking it out since, you know, uh, the, the college circuit. You know what I'm saying? The college circuit. Are you positing a world where executive sports sedans get four-year degrees? Yes, of course. At least. Okay. Okay. You know what? I've driven uh, both of these cars in the uh, both of these cars in the past, but have never driven them back to back and uh, head to head as I have this time. And you know what? It really surprised me because I always found the Mercedes E Class to be a very good representative of what Mercedes' view on luxury is. Because to me, these cars. Well, they're not – they slot right between the flagship sedan and the entry-level sedan. So they're really good at combining, you know, what is really luxurious about, say, the S-Class or the A8 while making them more approachable like a C-Class or an A4. And I always thought the E-Class did a really good job of melding those two worlds together. Okay. Do you, have you, if, do you agree or disagree with this assessment, my good friend? I mean, the E-Class is, is – it's a fine car. Let's leave it it's at a, that. It's a very well – I mean, both the E-Class and the um, a, A6 are really well-balanced vehicles. They really do a good job of, of bringing everything into one sedan. The E450 that I'm driving has a turbocharged V6 engine, and it's really important to say that because – Mercedes has been pumping out these inline six-cylinder engines with EQ boost or that 48-volt mild hybrid system. Yes. And the E450 does not have that. But if you opt up for an E53 AMG, you do get that powertrain. So you get you go from V6 to straight six and you get the yeah. AMG badge? Yes. And you get like a cool AMG polo shirt? 
Of course. And, and a like, hat. Probably. And a hat, probably. And oh. uh, maybe an AMG key you can just casually throw on the counter at uh, the restaurant and impress everybody but at no the table. no one knows what an AMG key looks like because it's got that, you know, like, that tree on it. What? <laughs> Haven't you seen an AMG logo? It has no, a tree I'm, on it. I'm very unprofessional. I've never seen one. What was this tree? <laughs> it's like the uh, Falterback tree. I don't know what it is. The uh, Falterback tree. <laughs> Look it up. A Falterback tree. What do you, are you, do you always talk when you type? Yeah, only when I'm with you. Okay. Beautiful. Like, there's this little tree, and it's next to some car parts, and it's in a, it's in a circle. It's beautiful. It's, it's got a, apples. It's not a visual medium, Sammy. Okay. Um, we were talking about the E450, I believe. Yes. This V6 is still really good. It makes 362 horsepower and 369 pound-feet of torque. It's made it to a nine-speed automatic transmission, and it does zero to 60 in five seconds, which sounds really good. Um, so let's go to the A6 and see how that um, pairs up. Okay. Is there a, does the A6 get a tree on its key fob too? No, no trees. Oh, already okay, docking points for that, I guess. But the, e, the E450 doesn't either because it's not an AMG. Okay, so it's losing points too. So now they're back on even footing. Are they both at zero? Yeah, well, minus one. <laughs> okay. The A6 features a 3-liter turbocharged V6 as well, but this one has that 48-volt mild hybrid technology that I was talking such a big game about with those inline six that Mercedes has. So it has that ability to kind of like coast at a light or even get going without um, firing up the engine. And that mild hybrid tech allows for, you know, better activation of things like their air suspension systems as well as um, improved fuel economy. It, it, this car has a little bit less horsepower at 335 horsepower and 369 pound feet of torque. It's the same uh, torque rating, but um, because this is an Audi, we've got a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission. It does zero to sixty in five point one seconds, um, and I would bet that has a lot more to do with weight rather than um, any other performance metric. Metric. The, the the Mercedes. I I you might have mentioned this, but is it all-wheel drive as well? It is all. Both of them are all-wheel drive. Okay. Okay. Um, I need to to mention this because to me this E four fifty it feels a lot like how I described the. Um, CLS from a couple of weeks ago, which I said was kind of stuck between these two eras. This E450 feels the same. I mean, it's not yet using that um, inline six, and I don't see why not because its competitor, its direct competitor, is using that 48 volt mild hybrid system. And this V6 that the E class has doesn't. It just can't be paired with that uh, 48 volt system. Um, in addition to that, this car is less fuel efficient. It has this nine-speed slush box, which is very comfortable, but not exactly, you know, snappy in the way that the dual-clutch transmission in the A6 feels. And when you get inside the cabin, you're you're faced with the old command system, infotainment system, and not the MBUX infotainment system that we have grown to like. Because, M-Bucks! Because of its clever um, post-humor uh, jokes. <laughs> On the other hand... This M- M-Bucks to- totally ahead of the humor curve. I mean, it's the Andy Kaufman of infotainment systems. It's, <laughs> it's laughing at jokes that won't be told for 10 years. You know, like, exactly. that's how far ahead yes. it is. That's exactly it. Um, on the other hand, this A6 is super modern. Um, it's got, uh, you know, four-wheel steering. It's got this 48-volt mild hybrid system. It's got um, a much more advanced air suspension system. When you get into the vehicle, you see this beautiful virtual cockpit as well as these multiple screens for um, controlling the HVAC settings and the infotainment display. It's extremely new school. Like, that's the best way I can describe it. And it feels like something that was built 
to 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 succeed to pretty much push forward the A6 for several years. I mean, it feels like a brand new car, and the E-Class is feeling far more dated. It feels like something was that was released a few years ago, which it was. I have to admit, though, when I think about the kind of buyers for these two cars, I I picture people like who are about. Maybe a little bit younger than my parents or maybe about the same age as my parents. And I would see them having a nightmare of meltdown in the A6, which has – it doesn't have very many hard buttons. It's all these fake buttons on screens um, and lots of pinching in to, to zoom on things. And I don't think they're just that familiar. They just want to jump into a car, press the button, and get going. And they'll understand how the toggle switches work for the HVAC settings. They They figure out a rotary dial for the navigation system. That all makes sense to – to people who have been in a car before, but the A6 seems like it's built for people who are far more comfortable with uh, with devices, digital devices, rather than automobiles. And that's just like the mindset I get when driving these two cars back. Well, what's to back. it like to use that kind of an that kind of an interface while you're actually trying to drive? I find it extremely distracting, but um, Audi has really done a good job because I think one of the most important parts um, of the vehicle when you're driving is a navigation system. Um, that's the one thing that you really want to have a good eye on so you don't get lost. And that display is right in the digital gauge cluster. It's this massive, um, colorful screen. I, you've probably seen this before in some out, other Audi vehicles. Um, and you definitely won't lose sight of that. That doesn't feel distracting. On the other hand, the um, it's the uh, infotainment, actually the HVAC settings that are really distracting because some of the controls have several buttons or clicks to get through and when you're doing that on a on a touch screen rather than a like hard button interface you you end up having to look and make sure you press the right button whether or not it was registered what you know the sort of um indentations for example if you're trying to increase the temperature to 26 degrees celsius from 18 uh how many times you would need to press up on that arrow to get it there well yeah and, it, and, and it's it's like you said it's distracting and especially if you're not using your fingers or you're wearing gloves or something like that and and the other thing too is we're kind of at a weird place where if you were to put in a mechanical system like dials and buttons and whatnot there's almost the danger that it looks too out of out of place like i know that there's some current modern vehicles that use a simple lcd um counter for the temperature display beside mm-hmm. the dial so you end up with this like lcd kind of casio clock style of, of readout for the temperature underneath a beautiful infotainment screen and the two things don't really look like they go together yeah i mean you know what that's one thing that really makes the a6 feel good it's very cohesive the the design is very very good um but to me there's like this classical appeal to the to the e-class that makes it feel a little bit more um approachable i think is the best way to say it i i need to i need to come straight out with the conclusion the a6 is a better buy it has a better powertrain it feels better on the road it has more space um, it has more features that are available and the e-class just ends up feeling more dated but there is a market there is an audience for a vehicle for a vehicle that feels a little bit more familiar a little bit more old school you're saying that this version of the e-class feels dated so how would you feel if you had that e53 AMG powertrain, how much of the difference do you think that would make in wiping out the parts of the car that feel dated? I think that would go a pretty long way, mainly because an E53 comes with not just the powertrain, which I think is not a huge difference when it comes from the 450 to the 
53 because they're both using uh, six-cylinder engines. But I think it has a lot to do with the additional extras that come with an AMG-branded vehicle, which is like the the improved styling with AMG uh, styling bits. Like AMG wheels are gorgeous. Um, and like their splitters and spoilers look beautiful as well. But then AMGs also sound fantastic. They're really like um, – they're really emotionally like they really do like catch your attention, whether you're the driver or a passenger or somebody else on the street. These cars always sound really neat. And then you've got like the additional suspension upgrades that would go along with that or even tire upgrades that would go along with an AMG as well. So I think that the 53 would be a better driving vehicle. But I think, like I said, with the interior cabin um, experience, a car that feels a little bit more modern might go um, a longer way with your money because these are not cheap cars as equipped. Um, they were both very close to $80,000 US. Wow, and that's for a mid-level executive sedan. Yeah, and again, you can get an S6 or, like I said, an AMG-branded E-Class for even more money. Those those will have even more features as well. Uh, You know what, though? I was really disappointed with some of the feature availability in my E-Class. I didn't have a head-up display, which is really a bit of a bummer, and I always love these kinds of features in um, in these, these... you know, in a car that costs nearly $80,000. I love seeing all of the new technology that's trickled down from flagship vehicles like the S-Class. Well, And, and you can get a head-up display in you very, can. very cheap cars. And you can I, get it in this E-Class as well. It just didn't seem like it was on a package that was that included a bunch of other technology as well, you know? Okay. Um, I will admit I really like um, – both these cars had adaptive air suspension. The one thing I will um, complain about is the steering in the A6. I mentioned before that it has uh, four-wheel steering. It also has a variable ratio rack. And these two elements together make for some really inconsistent driving um, dynamics, something that just didn't seem um, natural all the time. I just Sometimes you'd be going into an on-ramp and suddenly the car is turning more than it should as your speed incre- increases or less than it should as your speed increases while you keep the steering you know, set. It just is doing a different type of turning radius and you're you're so confused about that well that's really alarming <laughs> it is really alarming but in areas like parking lots the car feels really much smaller than it is because the the two axles the two wheel sets kind of uh turn on opposite directions of each other so then it effectively closes the wheelbase to make it um, a little bit more agile so bottom line i think the a6 is a bit very more much more modern car um, and while the E-Class is for the the traditionalist, um, I really do think the A6 impresses with all of its technology and its driving dynamics. It feels like a like a, a really cooler car, like a much better car to drive because of its powertrain and suspension system and that fancy all-wheel steering, which needs just, it takes some getting used to. So how would it compare to, say, the 5 Series, which is a vehicle we've both driven several versions of recently on the podcast? The 5 Series? That's a really good question. Good work on you. Are you patting yourself on the back right now? Yeah, all the time, constantly. Okay. It's a bit of a problem. <laughs> the uh, 5 Series is is a blend of both worlds. I think there are a bunch of these high-tech, um, we've called them gimmicks in the 5 Series because they are gimmicks. Um, you can get this uh, touchscreen key in a 5 Series. You get these gesture controls. So you're, you get these gimmicky technology features in the 5 Series that make you feel like your money is, like you're spending money on a, on a unique experience. 
But you also get a more traditional looking cabin and driving um, feel. I really like the, the 5 Series, especially with the 6-cylinder and even more so with one of the 8-cylinder engines that you can get for it as well. I would. I, I also think that it feels more buttoned down. I think the, the chassis is far more um, responsive and rigid in the 5 Series than the A6. Any thoughts on that? You've driven. You've spent a lot of time in the in the five series as well, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, we've covered it in past podcasts. I was just more curious as to, you know, the, the Mercedes feels old, the Audi feels new, and the the BMW is also fairly new. So it would be interesting to see how it, how it fits into that. One car that is never mentioned in this class of vehicle is the Genesis G80, which is a very very good car for the money. It's much more affordable than these than these vehicles, but it keeps up in terms of performance, very much up in performance. Um, and in terms of materials and cabin layout, it feels pretty um, high end as well. It, it does, but have- it, 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 I, I don't think it has the same level of fit and finish because it's also an older vehicle at this point. Yes, there is a new one that has debuted in other markets, which looks really slick. And I can't wait for that to come to North America. And it also just doesn't have that, like I was mentioning, all those gimmicks that these other cars have. But, of course, you don't pay as much for a G80 than you do uh, an, in A6 or a 5 Series. I don't want gimmicks. I, I want a, a car that drives well and is comfortable and has the features that are useful to me. I don't I don't need the ability to back up autonomously 76 feet or however <laughs> however long that bizarre trace distance feature is the bmw i mean that is of no use to me i i understand i understand your de- demands as a buyer but i know that some people would prefer to have something that feels really ne- next level and, and new school even if the feature is completely um unnecessary i mean you've probably seen like this party mode from teslas that like just flashes the lights in, no, in i'm not friends with, with anyone it. who owns a tesla sammy you and i travel into very different circles um you know what i want to talk about some of these other features that they have you know a lot of these um, these higher end vehicles, they come with heated seats um, for the front front uh, seats. You've seen this before. Yeah, I've but, seen it in Subarus from the nineties. Where, <laughs> where are you going with this? But in some Mercedes, when you press the heated seat button, it also warms up the armrest and the door panel. Yeah, BMW does that as well. And I love this. Do you not like this? I'm not. Why are you accusing? Me? I didn't say anything about it. Uh, I want yeah, you to acknowledge great. this feature, which is never given enough credit. I think that's awesome. I can't wait for this feature to come um, to more mainstream vehicles because, uh, I, as we as we know, all fancy features come to more mainstream vehicles. The only issue with having that in a more mainstream vehicle is it takes a part that's very inexpensive and makes it very expensive when it breaks. Oh, right. Of course. Like, in a BMW, it doesn't matter too much. Because doors are expensive. Yeah. Everyone expects they're going to get hosed when, when a door breaks. But if, you, if you're, like, in a Corolla... And they're like, yeah, it's $1,000 to change your armrest. I mean, you're <laughs> going to lose your mind. <laughs> um, uh, what else do we want to talk about with these two cars? I, I can't wait for the next generation E-Class to show up. But um, I also think that this current one has a, a, a demographic for people who are overwhelmed with all that technology. Like I said, you know how when we were talking with the the Mustang that you had and you were like, how do I turn off the automatic rev match? Yeah, because I'm an like idiot. If, I'm a Luddite I, idiot. No, Just I, say it. <laughs> I feel like if, if my parents had bought the A6, they'd be asking me how to do everything in their car um, every single day. And I feel like that would happen to anybody who is uh, who has parents who are buying one of these. Or who's an more. idiot like Benjamin. 
no. Like I said, it's just not used to the change that occurs in interfaces like this. What, you know, whenever something like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram changes its user interface and for like a month, everyone is complaining about it and then they, they like stop. It, there's something to be said about the familiarity of how we have a cabin layout and the A6 really does play around with that um, with that concept a lot. But the, the, difference, the difference between a Facebook interface and a vehicle interface is if you mess up the Facebook <laughs> yeah. interface, it doesn't kill you. Or somebody it, else. It doesn't yeah, crash it. exactly. We also <laughs> have to talk about, you know, what Mercedes does in terms of crash safety. Now, we know a bunch of cars have these features that, like, prevent you from getting an accident in the first place. But the Mercedes makes a huge point that if an accident is unavoidable, you'll be super safe in one of these as well. Um, they have, like a way that it, when it detects that you're going to get into an accident, it somehow moves the seat like this fraction of a way. It kind of like throws you in the way, in the direction of, a, of an airbag so that you mitigate your, your, your injuries. And there's also this like, I think it's a whistle that helps the... Wait, 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 what? <laughs> the, it's like a noise. It's like a white noise or something that helps prevent uh, hearing loss as oh, a result yeah. of the accident or uh, airbag um, or the pressure in the cabin, which I think is really clever stuff that not enough automakers are talking about because, you know, they always want to talk about you're never going to get into an accident in, in our car. I'd while, love to know how they tested that. Well, they have some really sophisticated um, crash test dummies or some really unfortunate interns over some at Some really low-level employees. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm always impressed by hearing that kind of technology, um, more and more about that kind of technology. As I said, automakers are always putting in these features that will help you prevent getting into an accident. But you know what? Sometimes some accidents are unavoidable or they're not a, a, a byproduct of the vehicle that you're in, but somebody else not paying attention. And, and there's then, no, no amount of technology in your car can stop someone else from not paying attention. That's true. And no amount of technology in your car will save you from alien abduction either, something that is not often talked about in the automotive industry. Or this podcast. I think we probably have a, a monopoly on the amount of alien abduction um, conversation in the automotive podcasts you know you know 10 years from now we could be having a conversation where it's like hey remember that white noise generator from 10 years ago if you were involved in an accident with that white noise generator you probably have an increased risk for dementia (laughs) yeah of course (laughs) yes in 10 years yes our our our, as we find out what the impact is on these kinds of features um okay you know what enough talking about all these fancy cars because you have a, a, a far less fancy car which i'm very i'm struggling mightily to figure out what its point is. Yeah, it's, so it's a kind of car that an idiot like me would drive, Sammy. Um, <laughs> someone, someone who doesn't need all these fancy features and can't understand how to use a simple Mustang interface. Uh, it's a. I spent some time with the 2018 Volkswagen Golf GTI. I need you to repeat the model year of that because it felt like you were trying to say 18, but then changed your mind at the last second to say 19. Because no, it's totally. I haven't said 20 mm, in like a year. <laughs> this is definitely 2019. Um, anyway, pardon that interruption. <laughs> what is it again? It is a 2019 Volkswagen Golf GTI. But it's mm-hmm. not just any Golf GTI, Sammy. The, was, and because there are so many Golf GTIs to choose from, which one is this? It was finished in a cornflower blue. And that's because it was a rabbit edition. Um, I didn't know it was a rabbit edition until I picked it up. And in fact, I didn't know it was a rabbit edition until like a couple days later when I noticed it said rabbit on the back. <laughs> okay. And uh, I took a look and tried to figure out, okay, what's the difference between this car? And actually, Sammy and I did some research just before the show because that's the level of preparation we put into this podcast and found out that 
The rabbit edition is what? What is it again, Sammy? You get some black trim. Uh, yeah, you've got uh, LED headlights. Black got trim, drag trim on the wheels, spoiler black trim and mirrors. On the wheels, a spoiler. You've got this special cloth seating with and then plaid, keyless key, access, and push button start. And uh, it's actually pretty cool. The the, the spoiler is pretty cool. It comes it extends from the roof. Um, it looks good. Uh, there's also one other thing that you get with the rabbit that you don't get with any other GTI, and that's a special gift from Volkswagen. And that special gift really? comes, yeah, and they don't tell you what it is on the website, and you have to like like mail away for it or something. So and, there's like a mystery box. There's like a loot box mechanic. Yeah, for it's buying like a, car. It's like a loot box, but spoiler alert, it's a badge. Oh. It's a black rabbit badge that that you can then affix to your car. And there's a website. If you want to check it out, you need to go to um let me take a look here. Oh my goodness. It is uh like I'm reading the paper. I found a copy of the letter that gets sent to GTI Rabbit owners. GTIRabbitBadge.com where there's a PDF, and you download the PDF, and it makes, like, a template for you to properly put the badge on your car. So they don't leave anything to chance. Um, uh, okay. Um, let's get... Forget all these... Now, you know what I was talking about? Gimmicky tech features? These are gimmicky trim features of these cars. Do you need all this badging? Does it make you feel more special? And what is what is the appeal of having Rabbit-branded items on your new Golf? Because, like, the rabbit was cool back in 1983, and maybe you're into Radwood, and so you want, like, to connect with the spirit of Radwood, and you get this black bunny badge, and your life's pretty good until you talk to your friend Sammy, and he's like, your car's really stupid. Why do you even do these things that you care about? And you're like, oh, he's right. I should care about nothing. And then you just slide into nihilism, and you never wash your car again, and the badge just sits on a, in an empty drawer in your kitchen, the junk drawer, you call it, even though that's the only thing in it. So, yeah. I guess that's why you get the rabbit edition. So, what's under the hood of this thing again? It's the same 2.0 four-cylinder turbo that you would get with any other GTI. You get uh, 228 horsepower, and that, that's new for this year, I believe. Uh, it's like 8 horsepower more than the year before, and you get... Uh, Do you really this... notice that? You noticed that 8 horsepower, though. It was the first thing I noticed. Sammy, I didn't even notice that there was a badge that said <laughs> rabbit on the back. <laughs> I think you got to cut me a little slack in terms of the things I probably noticed about the car. Um... But it also has 258 pound-feet of torque. You can get a six-speed manual, and you can get a seven-speed direct, or sorry, dual-clutch uh, transmission and automatic, which is what my car had. And you know what, Sammy? I normally really like the GTI. It's a fun car to drive, and I think it's a good alternative to the Golf R. Until this week, when I just wasn't feeling this transmission. What do you mean? What happened? What do you mean? Hold up. Off the line, it was... Lackadaisical a little bit. Uh, it revved the, it, the the revs would climb. The car wouldn't really go anywhere, and then it would start to move forward. Um, even in sport mode, it didn't really seem that engaging. It just I wasn't happy with how the car felt with the DCT, and and it was a stark contrast to the manual GTIs I'd, I'd driven in the recent past. So um, my strong recommendation to everyone out there is don't get the DCT. I know it's easier in traffic, but the manual is just a much more engaging car to drive. Otherwise, I found the Rabbit, or sorry, GTR, or whatever you want to call it, to feel kind of insulated. Okay, that is the, that is the, that is no good when it comes to a GTI. 
In my opinion, I've always found the GTI to be the mo one of the more engaging products that Volkswagen makes, especially with that manual transmission. If you're going to get um, a hot hatch, or, or at least one of the, what, whatever, however you want to describe these cars, I think it's a hot hatch. Um, you get a GTI with the manual transmission, and if when you do get that, you get a vehicle that prioritizes fun. And I would always imagine that somebody who would get a Golf R would probably really enjoy the DCT because that's a vehicle that prioritizes going really fast. Um, and to imagine that the the DCT really sucks the fun out of the GTI, well, that seems like a like a cardinal sin of GTI-isms, right? I think it really also had a lot to do with having driven the uh, Veloster N recently and just being so impressed with that car and realizing that for very similar money, I could be driving something that's a lot more engaging. Uh, and I was kind of, you know, one thought kept coming to me while I was driving the GTI. It's like, this is just how the normal Golf should feel. This is like the normal amount of power I'd want from a normal Golf. Mm. And that's not a great feeling to have from a car that's <laughs> supposed to be sporty and engaging. And Did I think... I think it looks Go good. I think it's comfortable yeah. inside. I did a long road trip in it. It was fine. I had three passengers and there were no complaints. Uh, I took a – I actually transported a super long like hedge clipper <laughs> that extended the full length of the cabin with the seats folded down. So No it's tires very, though. No, no tires this time. It's very practical. But I just wasn't having any fun. Okay. Um, is this – now, we've both driven GTIs with a manual transmission and found them to be fun. So is this something that's happened um, as we've realized that there are more fun vehicles, as you mentioned, the, the, the Veloster N, which is kind of in the wheelhouse price-wise of this vehicle. It's totally right? in the wheelhouse. Ouch. So you're saying that the impact of a Hyundai product that really focused on on delivering these like um, enthusiast-oriented um, driving dynamics – has really dampened the the feel and the mood on other vehicles within uh, the industry. Yeah, it, it it definitely has. I think they've raised the bar. And uh, you know the the Veloster N is tw starts at twenty six nine. The Rabbit edition that I drove starts at twenty eight eight ninety five. And the cheapest GTI is basically a thousand dollars more. Not a thousand, seven hundred dollars more than a, a a base Veloster N. I mean, come on, man. The performance package N is twenty nine grand, which is less than the. Actually, it might as well be the exact same price as the Rabbit I drove, twenty eight eight ninety five. I mean, come on. Yeesh. Okay, so you're saying that the Veloster N has become like the trump card for all um, enthusiast hot hatches. Like it's like the GTR of supercars. It was like now is the now it's the Veloster N. Like why get anything else? No, I don't think that's the case. I just think that it's raised the bar to a considerable point where a car like the GTI feels more pedestrian than it used to, um, and it, it's it's has a somewhat nicer interior than the Veloster N in terms of fit and finish, but it's not as exciting or as engaging to drive with that DCT. And it, it's not as powerful. And these are, you know, Volkswagen has the Golf R that they have to protect in terms of power. Hyundai doesn't have to worry about that. They can make the Veloster N as fast as they want to because they have nothing above it. But uh, it's, this is, it's, it's really becoming clear that the, the hot hatch segment has been disrupted by the Veloster N. Crazy. That's something I never would have thought would happen so quickly um, following the reveal of the, the, the Veloster N. And you know what? There's been so many other hot hatches that have debuted in the past couple of years. You know, we know the, the Focus RS and the um, Civic Type R, for example, and even just the regular Civic S, which is full of all sorts of technology. 
and it's never made other vehicles feel kind of less than they were. You know what I mean? You can pay $35,000 for a GTI. <laughs> Why? The, the the Audubon with adaptive cruise and dual zone climate control and navigation and all this stuff, you can buy that if you want. And that's like seven, six, seven grand more than a Veloster N. And mm-hmm. at that point, you have to ask yourself, like, why am I buying a really – why am I buying the world's nicest golf? Okay, so let's get back into that though. There are some elements of a Volkswagen that are really good. I mean I think they have yeah. really nice – um, layouts and fit and finish. They are pretty high quality. Yeah, and product. it looks good too. I'm, I'm not saying that the, the golf is at fault. I'm saying it's been right. surpassed. Okay. And that in my mind, it, it, it pushed all of the, all of the criteria that I use to evaluate a car like this further afield than I think the GTI was able to catch up to. So when I got into the car, I was expecting to spend a nice week with an old friend and, and enjoy reconnecting. And instead I just kind of felt like, why am I even driving this? You know, like Ouch. what? Yeah, That's it, very harsh sounding. If if I had a manual transmission, I think I would have felt a lot better about it. But I think that the seven speed just neuters the experience to the point where you have a. If you wind out the engine, it feels reasonably quick. Mm-hmm. But like off the line and whatnot, and and around town, it just feels like a, a nice golf. And I want it to feel special, and it doesn't feel special anymore. That's very interesting. As we've talked about in past episodes, they're going to get rid of the standard Golf, and the GTI and the Golf R are going to be the main vehicles that you can buy here in North America. So this is going to be the normal Golf to so many people in some way or another. Yeah. Well, no, and, one, buys, no one buys the normal Golf. That's right. They it's get the GTI instead. It's a total, so it's a total that, sales dog. That's why the GTI has evolved into being a really good, decent Golf right now. So well, maybe, instead but of I being mean, the Americans- fun... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, Americans don't buy hatchbacks. They buy the Jetta. Oh, right, the Jetta. I forget about the Jetta. Yeah. Interesting. That's a really unique take. I wasn't expecting you to to have that um, that approach to the G, to the GTI because it's always been a de facto easy to recommend vehicle, and I'm I feel like now that just isn't the case. I would still recommend it to someone who wants a comfortable, practical hatchback. But with power. You, with okay power. But I think if you want something truly sporty, you have to look elsewhere at this point. Or you don't have to look elsewhere, but you would do better to look elsewhere. You right. you get better value. Crazy. What a change. What a change in fortune for the GTI. Do you know what I mean? Well, what can you do? What can we? What would you expect? Well, first of all, I don't like this Rabbit Edition badging and stuff like this. I find that to be unnecessary. It's I know. Like, who wants to have fun in a car? I mean, that's just, I mean. But the fun can be had in the car and not with all of the uh, superfluous items like badging and stuff like that. You know what? Uh, unless, I mean, if they just offered that color for the same price that you're paying, because it is a very attractive looking blue, isn't it? Well, nothing forces you to put that badge on your car. You could put it on whatever you want. Like, you could put it on a drone and then launch that drone into the sun if that made you happy. <laughs> and you know it would. Like in Superman 4. Is that what he did with his drone in Superman, with his rabbit badge? Yeah. It's a, it's a cutscene, but it's in the extended edition. Of course. Cool. All right. Well, that's... Um... Is that all we have to say for this uh, this week's episode, Ben? I think so. And I uh, just want to let listeners know that we're going to be taking next week off because it's summertime and things be crazy. Yeah, we have to soak up the rays and to get ready for another um, solid year of nonstop podcasting with you and me. I don't think we've taken a, a week off in maybe 52 weeks. So <laughs> it's, 
It's um, about time, is what you're saying. Time related breather. Basically, here's how it breaks down. Sammy and I, we just need some time apart, and we're going to get that time apart by vacationing together. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, what are you? What are you? What is the first thing you pack whenever you go on a vacation with me? Bear spray. Yeah, exactly. Now you know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I get. I bring an air horn. That's that's great. I mean, that's how I. That's my preferred way to wake up. <laughs> terrified and sweating (laughs) okay um that's it for this week's episode of the unnamed automotive podcast if you want to catch up on some of our last episodes of the podcast you can head to our website that's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and while you're there you can see all those old episodes you can see photos to of the cars that we're talking about you can see links to written articles and even more photos of the cars we're talking about and you can also subscribe to our podcast um, using a selection of buttons near the top of the page. And if you want to check us out on social media, we're actually going to ask you a question because, you know, Facebook's getting weird these days. And uh, we're not so sure we want to continue associating the podcast with Facebook. So if you could let us know whether having links to the podcast on Facebook is something you enjoy or whether you're getting the podcast anyway in other areas or whether you use the the, the Facebook page primarily to leave or read comments – uh, just send us some uh, some feedback about that. We'd appreciate it. You can reach me on Instagram. I'm at Hunting Benjamin. Or you can find Sammy on the cesspool that is Twitter, where he is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And if you want to send an old-fashioned email, you can do that from the contact form on unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Or you can send it to me directly, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Perfect. So, Ben, after um, we've got our week off, we'll be right back at it. Um, so enjoy your time off. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you when we're... But we're back in action. It's so kind of you to lie, Sammy. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye.